0: He's worth the wait. He's here now. He's in our hearts. And one day, he's coming for us. Yeah, that's right. And uh, that's what we're studying, right? That's what we're studying. We live in the church age where we see injustice and sin and wickedness. And yet we see the gospel of grace. We learned in 1 Peter that God's not slack concerning his promise to come again. Even if there's scoffers, and there's many scoffers, folks, about what we're ready to study about. But he's not slack concerning his promise, even in the midst of scoffers. And neither should you be or I should be, and he says he's waiting for one reason, salvation, salvation, he's waiting for salvation, you and I and we, we read the news, we see things that are unjust, evil, we say, Lord, oh man, why don't you just come back, and of course, it's a good desire, I'm not saying that, we do say that, right? (laughs) and Jesus just says, hold on, hold on. There's more to be saved. But make no mistake, folks, he will make it right. He's coming to make it right, and we're studying all about that right now. In fact, if you turn with me uh, to Psalm 50, Asaph wrote these same questions we have. Look in Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may, here it comes, judge His people. And then look in Psalm 94. Turn there. Verse 3, Psalm 94. This is the question we asked, isn't it? Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? it just seems like the wicked win and the uh, the righteous lose in a sense we know that's not true but sometimes we get the feeling that way don't we and then turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 in the new testament <laughs> look at it for yourself and remember it we just did this 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 10 First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, talking about salvation. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ. And then look at this little sliver verse. And the glories that would follow. We're headed for a glorious future in our economy. It's future for us. God lives outside of time and space, but for our future, we're headed for a glorious future because of Jesus Christ. And the prophets even inquired of this. They talked of this. We went through it in Isaiah before we got here. Isaiah prophesied all of these days about the day of the Lord The minor prophets, they looked into these things. They knew of these things. God told them of these things. And now here we are discovering what happens to the wicked. And we don't say it in some way like, oh, great, it's happening to the wicked, but not to us. No, we don't say it like that. We say it with hearts that are crying out. Lord, help. How can we help? Lord, show us what to do, where to go, praying for people, serving people in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel with people. And here's what we've learned so far. We've learned that there are several different views about how to look at the book of Revelation. You've landed yourself at a church that believes in a dispensational premillennial view, a futurist view. But there's other views. No. Obviously, we're convicted about these views and we believe them and but we recognize that there are other brothers and sisters that have different views. And we love them. But our view is that this is future. This hasn't already happened. It didn't happen in AD 70. It couldn't possibly have happened in 8070, because the things I'm about ready to read to you have never happened before. But I want you to remember that we're following the divine outline in verse one, or chapter one, verse 19, where John is writing the things which he has seen, the resurrected Jesus Christ in chapter one. He's writing about the things which are, the church age, chapters two and chapter three. And then he's writing uh, the things which will take place, and this is important, after this. And the reason it's important is if you flip over to chapter 4, after this, that's a phrase called metatauta, chapter 4 answers after these things. After what things? After the church age. We find the church in heaven. And the first thing the church does is it's uh, uh, focused on, it can't take its eyes off The church, us, the saints, can't take uh, their eyes off the throne room of God or the throne of God. And we we talked about that. And then we see the uh, worship that takes place in heaven. And then in chapter 5, we see that no one's worthy to take the scroll. That's not just an Andrew Peterson song. That comes from Scripture. God bless Andrew Peterson. And it's that no one was worthy to take the scroll, but the lamb was worthy to take the scroll. And we're now in the middle of the lamb who took the scroll. He's unsealing pop. He pops the seal off, and he shows us what the first seal reveals. And that happens, right, in chapter 6, the beginning of the tribulation period. The church is in heaven. We talked about Daniel and some things that were going to happen when Antichrist comes on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation period, including this thing, this pact, this treaty, this miraculous peace that the Antichrist is going to be able to usher in. And then... During uh, this time, this time of tribulation, which is called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 30, chapter 7, or the 70th week of Daniel, Daniel 9, verse 27. This 70th week, this seven-year period, we are now looking at, and it's where the Lord is meeting out, is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And we've been talking about the purposes of the tribulation. One is to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, putting things right, setting it up for the kingdom age when Christ at the end of the seven years comes back with his saints, that's us, to rule and reign on the earth for a period of 1,000 years. At the end of 1,000 years, a lot of things happen, but then this earth goes away and the new heavens and the new earth and you and I and we, we dwell there with the Lord And that's our destiny. That's our future. You see why it says now the glories? The prophets looked into uh, uh, this salvation, which included the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glories that follow. And we're on the glories. We're we're just studying the glories that follow. And in chapter 6, we see the lamb unseal the first seal. And you remember this. These are the four riders on the earth, the first seal, the second seal, Uh, The third seal, which is scarcity on earth. And you have uh, the fourth seal, death on the earth. And the fifth seal, the martyrs, uh, the ones who had been martyred uh, uh, before the tribulation. And then we see the, the ones who would be killed as they were. In other words, the tribulation saints. Somebody asked me last week, is it impossible to get saved during the tribulation? No, not at all. That's one of the purposes of the tribulation itself because when we get raptured that's going to cause people to go what maybe they were right even scoffers might say that but not all by the way we'll see what, that in a minute or maybe not even many but 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 people will get uh, uh saved and and uh We moved on to the sixth seal where there were cosmic disturbances. And then, which is typical of this vision and letter that John's writing from the island of Patmos in 95 AD. Write that in big bold letters or numbers at the beginning, 95 AD, because that date is under attack. But 95 AD, he's writing this as an old man from the island of Patmos. He sees this vision. But what's typical is that before the seventh judgment is unsealed, like first we have seal judgments, then we have trumpet judgments, then we have bowl judgments, and remember the seventh seal opens up the trumpet judgments, and then the seventh trumpet judgment opens up the seven bowl judgments. Did you follow that? No, somebody said no. Well, it's like a Russian doll. The last, the last uh, judgment or sealed judgment opens up seven trumpets and seven bowls. Okay? And the reason I'm telling you that is because each time we get from the sixth in those sequences and then into the seventh, the vision here takes a little pause and gives us a little interlude. <laughs> intermission. No, not intermission. A little, uh, 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 inform- a little bit of information about what's happening in heaven. And last time in chapter 7, we saw what was happening. We saw that the Lord was choosing 144,000 Jewish people to be sealed on their forehead here on earth so that they would be pre- protected. What were they sealed with? We saw it in Revelation 14 God's name. Is it visible, invisible? I don't know, probably invisible. God knows. But they're protected. And then we saw a multitude that's out of the Great Tribulation, a second uh, type of, or second uh, group of people who were these martyrs. And we saw all the incredible worship that was going on. And now, listen to what happens. We've had this little interlude, and we're now at the seventh seal. We're now at the seventh seal. So let me read to you. As the Lord is telling us, we're answering the questions of the Old Testament. He's answering the questions of you and I. Why do the wicked win? Or why do they persist in winning? Or how come, or why don't they get theirs? Well, we see here now. Look at this. That doesn't sound good. (laughs) Somebody get the air conditioning (laughs) fixed, right? Okay, listen. Chapter 8, verse 1. Okay. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour, or for about a half an hour. I just paused for 20 seconds, and you guys were uncomfortable. Think about this. Here's John in this vision. He's just getting them rapid fire. And when he opened the seventh seal, who's he? It's the Lamb of God. He's opening the seals. When the Lamb opens the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about, a half, or for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. What's that mean? To blow the trumpet, right? So the first angel, verse 7, sounded and hail and fire followed mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up. "...and all the grass uh, was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed." Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, or of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter." Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels, ...who are about to sound. That's chapter 8. So I said at the beginning. When he opened the seventh seal... ...here we find Jesus opening the last seal on the scroll. This is it. The last seal on the scroll. He opens this thing. And, I, uh, and there was silence in heaven... ...for about a half an hour. Now listen... The prophets knew about this. God had revealed something to the prophets about this silence. What is this silence? I don't think anybody is exactly sure. Listen to this, though. Zephaniah 1.7 says this. Be silent in the presence of God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Be silent in the presence of God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. How about this? Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it, 2.20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And so as we go back here, when I was a little kid, I was nervous to go on roller coasters. We used to go to Kings Island and Cedar Point And, man, you know, those roller coasters were huge. I think they had the Beast, and at one time the Beast was the biggest in the world, and then Cedar Point would try to beat that, and they'd have one. And I can remember, you know, I don't know how old, but just as soon as I was tall enough to meet that line, I can remember going on there with my aunt. And all I did the whole way up that, uh, up the, uh, up the first hill, was just close my eyes and just go, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know, type of thing, right? And then I think she got me to open my eyes, and I couldn't believe how high we were. It was just so unbelievably high. And thankfully, we weren't in the first seat. We were, you know, four or five or six back. And I was in awe of this thing. And, you know, I went on to like roller coasters and loved them. But, you know, when I was young, that was a big thing for me. And I can remember that thing getting to the top. And, you know, it gets to the top and you can hear the kind of the people in front click, you know, the chain clicking noise, click, 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 which made me even more nervous. And then somehow, because of the screams or whatever, I knew that the people in the front were starting to go down. But for us in the middle or wherever I was, it felt like we just paused. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we were just sitting there. It just didn't even feel like we were moving yet. And there was this big pause and then all of a sudden, you know, down the hill and off you go, right? Right? And somehow, I mean, just in my weird little way, it's like the Lord has brought us to the crescendo of the Bible. That's how I'm thinking of it. And, you know, people have been asking him. In fact, you, you know this, right? I mean, hey, Lord, uh, teach us how to pray. I mean, you can pray so amazingly, his disciples said. Teach us, teach us how to pray. And I wonder if they got all their journals and their iPads out, and they just thought, man, we're going to be typing, clicking away for 30 minutes or so about how to pray and what to pray. And he just he lays out to them his prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here it comes. Ready? Ready? Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. How many saints, post-Jesus, do you think have prayed that prayer? And how many times have we prayed that prayer? And here it is. God is answering the prayer. We've come to the top, whatever, of the Bible. And we're, we're suspended there for... A half hour, John says. How he knows that, I have no idea. And we're there, and we're just there, and there's silence in heaven. Silence. Now think about it, because they've been praising in heaven. They've been worshiping in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb of God. And here, when he opens this seventh seal, there's this pause that was talked about in the prophecies by the prophets. It's the culmination of God's program. And here John is privileged to see it. And I saw, listen to this, the seven angels who stand before God. Who are those seven angels? Well, they might just be different angels who have different assignments in heaven. Because we've been seeing many different kinds of creatures and angels, haven't we? You know at the beginning of chapter 1... Last verse, it says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. And some people believe those seven angels are the same. I don't know. It seems to me that those seven angels are assigned to the churches. Maybe they are. or. Well, I know they're assigned to the churches, but maybe they have another role. Now now it seems that they're standing before God, whatever they're doing, you know, reporting for duty. In other words, saying, Lord, what's our assignment? They're messengers of the Lord. That's what the uh, uh, angels are. And I saw these seven angels, or saw the seven angels, who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Now see, to the Old Testament Jewish mind, this might have a way different meaning than it does to your mind. (laughs) Maybe you've only heard trumpets. You know, Johnny Cash has a song with trumpets. Maybe you've heard that song, or maybe you like uh, jazz and you've listened to some jazz, but trumpets haven't been. Actually, the other day I was in South Park. Wow, this had me choked up, by the way. Somebody was in the woods practicing caps with a trumpet. Boy, was it beautiful. I mean, it was early morning, too. It was before 7 o'clock. And uh, it was beautiful. But, but, you know, in our national history, different than Israel, it's not that big a deal for us. But for Israel, it was a big deal. Do you remember this? When they marched around Jericho, when they went into the promised land in Joshua chapter 6... What did God tell him to blow at the ultimate time? A trumpet. And what happened? The walls fell down. So, so listen, what would that represent to the Jewish mind? It would represent the impossible has happened. Something that looked like it would never happen. Jericho would you know, be uh, invaded. God took care of with a trumpet. God, when he was giving out the, uh, the law, there was a trumpet. The holy law. Remember, the, God, uh, the law, even though uh, we don't live under the law, the law is holy and shows us and points us to Jesus Christ. It's a schoolmaster, but it's good and holy. Why is it holy? Because it reflects God's heart and character. And he, they would remember that trumpet. You know that? And in Numbers, you would see trumpets Calling them to assembly, and calling them to war, and calling them uh, uh, when they had uh, important things that they needed to do. Trumpets were a big deal in the life of uh, a Jewish person back at this time, right? Back in Jesus' day. And now here, you say, open the seventh seal. You imagine? Imagine, open the seventh seal. Oh, man. You know, you're on your edge of your seat. Silence. Pure silence, which is really awkward. I just tried it with you for 20 seconds, and you guys thought something was wrong with me. And then he saw these seven angels who he, he stand before God, and he saw that they were given these trumpets. And so they're thinking, what important thing is about ready to happen? What, what important thing? And then another angel, and that word, another, this is important, folks. That word, another, they could have used a different word for another. They used the word of the same kind. Then another angel, why am I telling you that? Some people believe this is Jesus. You know that Jesus made some Old Testament appearances And oftentimes they called him the angel of the Lord. So many people believe this is Jesus. I don't happen to believe that. I think this is just another angel, one of the same kind, the same kind as the seven, a messenger. You tracking with me? All right. Wake up right here. Here it comes. Then another angel having a golden censer came. and stood at the altar. Now, see, you're not going to know this unless you have a tabernacle poster. I'm kidding, because I just gave uh, Xander a tabernacle poster the other night, and you understand what was in the tabernacle. And the reason is, remember, Hebrews tells us that the tabernacle is modeled after heaven. You get it? So we better know tabernacle speak. Or we better be familiar with the tabernacle, especially right here. And if you catch this, if you'll just hang on and let me go through what's in the tabernacle real quick, you're going to get a way better understanding of what's happening right here. Remember now, the tabernacle is the movable temple. The temple was later, right? And God told Moses, make it exactly, exactly, exactly like I tell you to make it. Don't mess with it at all. Do it exactly. And he did. And he made a tent around the outside. A tent. How many entrances did it have? One. You could only go in the front door, right? I am the way and the truth and the life. There's, right? And so you could only come one way into the tabernacle area, into the courtroom. And the first thing that you would meet is the brazen altar what would you do at the brazen altar? Well, at the brazen altar is where you would sacrifice. You would bring your sacrifices to the priest. And what would the priest ask you to do? Put your hand on the back of the sacrifice's neck, and then the priest would shoop, slit his throat, drain all the blood out, be sacrificed on the altar. Right there is the sacrifice. That's the first thing. Right behind that is a laver, is a place where the priest could wash Before they actually went into the tabernacle, oh, did I say a tent? I meant a fence. The first thing's a fence. Sorry. Then a brazen altar, then a laver, then a tent. Sorry about that. And the tent had two rooms, remember? Everybody remember this? And the room, in the first room, as you walked in, the first room over to the right, the 12 loaves of showbread. Just hang on with me, man. When you see this, you're going to be blown away. 12 loaves of showbread. The people of God before God constantly. Just there before the face of God. Just there they are, the people of God. Then on the back wall of the first room is what they called, you know, the altar of incense. It's where the incense was placed that would rise up to the Lord, representing the prayers of the saints, right? You remember when, listen to this, this is fascinating. Zachariah, Elizabeth, who'd they have for a baby? Say it. John the Baptist. Well, Zechariah gets his big day. He'd waited his whole life, just one time, to serve because there were several thousand priests He gets one time to serve, and this is what he's doing. He's attending to that incense place when the angel of the Lord comes and tells him he's going to have a kid. That's what he was doing. He was back there. Okay, so that's there. To the left is that big candelabra, right, with a big, uh, I I never know what to call those things. Candlestick right in the middle, and then six other ones, right? Right? Remember that? Jesus is the light of the world. We're the light of the world. Behind the prayer incense, altar of uh, incense was a you know, a flap, and then back behind that was the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, this, uh, it's where the, the Lord said he would meet Moses there. He would meet Moses there, uh, the Day of Atonement. Remember, only one person could go in there one time a year. Uh, the high priest would go in there, sprinkle blood, right, and for uh, cover the sins of the nation. Remember this? Okay, why am I telling you all of this? Do you know that In this great book of Leviticus, which is going to be worth the price of going to Bible college here at Calvary Chapel. Because it's such an awesome book. These two sons, Nadab and Abihu, right? They offered some strange fire back there on the altar of incense. And whoo! You see, they were supposed to, by the regulations, go up and take some coals, listen, from the altar where they sacrificed and use that. And they didn't do it. They didn't do as God prescribed and they got, you remember that one? Okay, now that I've set it up, you know where the things are. Watch this. So then another angel having a golden censer, like frankincense, that comes from that word, or it's closely tied to that word, came and stood at the altar. What would they do? They would, you know, they would use that to, uh, it was a tool to implement to carry spices, the spices that they uh, were required to mix. By the way, in Exodus, there was a spice Ingredient mixture, I think it's in Exodus 30, verses 34 through 38. Check me on that. You could only use these spices. If you used anything else, you were toast. Well, this censer would hold it as well as the coals. And here the angel's given this censer, and he came and stood at the altar. Which altar? Probably. Now, listen, probably the altar of incense, the one at the back wall there. And having a golden censer, he came and stood the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now, the throne, you see, in the tabernacle would be where the Ark of the Covenant is. But this throne in heaven is God's throne, but it's built like the tabernacle, and so there's this altar here, this golden altar where the prayers of the saints, and listen to this, folks, listen to this. What saints? Well, some people believe it's all the saints for all time. In other words, you guys are looking at me puzzled. In heaven, the prayers that you've prayed for 30, 40, 50 years... He remembers them in their catalog. They're right before him. They're right before him. The incense, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. It comes up before him, you see. And it's the prayers of the saints. Maybe you, listen, maybe you've given up on somebody or something. Maybe you've given up. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth gave up. Same spot. Maybe you've given up. You've said, well, I can't have a baby. I'm whatever. 99, you know, I know it was different. But, you know, old lady or how could I ever uh, think about this? Or maybe my husband or maybe my wife or whatever. I'm giving up. I don't even want to. What? Listen. He came and stood at the altar. He was given this incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon that golden altar which was before the throne. The prayers of the saints... Mixed with what? Oh, I can't wait to tell you this. Look at the next verse. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Sorry, next verse. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. Where did you get the fire, folks? You you didn't get it at the back wall. You got it. So, so so he went and he walked back. You understand what's happening here? He went and got the coals from where the offerings were made. There's one. You guys are looking at me like, what is he getting at? There's one mediator between God and man. It's the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the throne and makes intercessions for us daily. He lives to make intercession for you and I. That's what he is. He's not up there going, oh, Jan screwed up. Uh, Let me see if I can fix it to God. He's going like this. She can have access to you, Lord. Why? Because of the blood, because of the sacrifice. See, the prayers that you pray in the name of Jesus, it's not some magic formula. In Jesus' name. No. But you can pray, you will pray, you do pray, and God cares about those prayers. I guarantee it because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You you see it? See, there's something way more happening on Sunday night than us just coming here and hey, how you doing? What do you got for prayer? All right, we'll pray through those things. God is. Caring about, taking note of, thinking about, cataloging the prayers of the saints. And when they rise up to him, here and in heaven, it blesses him. And we, we can do it now because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Look at this. Prayer and sacrifice are intertwined. And it's sweet-smelling to the Lord God Almighty. You, you got something in your family in your life, in your profession, I don't care, whatever it is, what do you got? What do you got that thinks that's impossible? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And listen, here's how you take it to the Lord in prayer, like these guys. Lord, I'm reporting for duty. Here's what we do. We barge into the room which, by the way, he says we can. <laughs> we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace. But listen, we barge into the room, we spew out what we need, and we have a nice week. That's how we treat God. And I wonder if it would be just better if we showed up knowing these scriptures How powerful it is that we can come to the Lord by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, whatever your will is, align my will to it. Well, look at this. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar. Can you imagine this? The angel took this censer and he goes, and he throws it to the earth. He throws it to the earth. Remember what we read in Psalm 50 and Psalm 94 and a million other places in the Old Testament? Why haven't you judged wickedness? Why, why do you put up with this stuff, Lord, we say, as if we know better than him? Well, there's the answer. Judgment is f- f- hurled at the earth, at the direction of the Lamb. Listen to this. Donald Barnhouse writes this about these, uh, these scriptures right here. The judgment fire which is to rage upon the earth comes from the very altar where the lamb has been slain and his body consumed. In other words, the wrath of God that is to be poured out upon the earth is solemnly based upon the sufferings of the lord jesus christ on calvary let that go in or sink in when satan rebelled against god the lord didn't arbitrarily move against him to take his power away but in the ordered plan of the ages put the tremendous forces in the operation which brought us to the consummation of the cross i should reread that for you because that is amazing there it was that the Lord Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers, making a show of them openly and triumphing, triumphing over them, Colossians 2.15. Just as a sheriff executes a writ in virtue of the judge's decree, so the heavenly messenger now pours forth judgment, which is in full harmony with the absolute righteousness and holiness of God. Did you catch that? Then he goes on to tell us that, remember the the, uh, Isaiah 6 passage where he sees the Lord and he knows that he's a sinner? Do you remember this part? Isaiah cries, woe, for I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. And when Isaiah had seen the uncleanness that was in himself, do you remember what happened? The Lord met it by fire from the altar. One of the seraphim came with a live coal, take tongs off the altar, laid it upon the mouth of the prophet, and announced that his iniquity was, a taken away, was taken away, and his sin was purged. That's Isaiah 6. You remember this, right? Okay, now hold on. Just stay with me. I know I'm not supposed to quote from a book. I know it's public speaking, bad stuff. But you've got to listen to this. How terrible it is to contemplate the fact that the fire, fire from the altar, which cleansed Isaiah's lips is the fire that is now poured out on the earth in judgment. If the world, here it comes, if the world will not have Jesus Christ as its Savior and King, it must have him as judge. Donald Barnhouse. So can you imagine? This is what's happening here. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended, verse 4, before God from the angel's hands. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. Whew. God's saying, we're going over the hill. It's, it's time. Judgment is here. Now, it has been here already. But here it keeps coming. Look at this. He threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake, a, a far cry from the half-hour of silence. And so the seven angels had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Well, the first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. This follows almost exactly the seventh plague. In Exodus, you could look it up. And hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. What happens then? And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, some people believe that word there in the Greek speaks of fruit trees, so it's devastating in the sense that Less to eat, but also remember now, where do we get our oxygen? Well, we get it through trees. And they're gone, and then the green grasses burn up, which would also wreak havoc with livestock and animals, right? So not only does the green grass gone, but it might impact the animals, and there was this fire or hail and fire that's mingled with blood. In other words, no one really knows how the blood gets there. He just saw something, but maybe what's happening here is this hail and fire rains down. Is The land that this is hitting has livestock in it, and there's death. Now You know this is on top of, remember now, <laughs> just look over uh, verse 8 of chapter 6 the pale sickly horse, and power was to give them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. You remember that? There was conquering going on by the Antichrist in the first seal. And there was great conflict on the earth where people were killing one another in the second seal. There was scarcity and famine and uh, inflation in the third seal. Then there's this one-quarter Killing, I, I went over this, and we saw martyrs, etc. And then this continues here, where a third of the trees are burned up, and all the green grass is burned up. And then a second angel sounded, sounds the trumpet, and something like. Now, folks, we, are, we uh, try to, as much as we can, stick to a literal interpretation, but this doesn't lend itself to literal You've got to realize John is there, and he doesn't know what he's seeing exactly, and he's trying to describe it. And in this case, he says, like a great mountain. He doesn't say a mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, but he says something like a mountain, some huge mass, like a great mountain burning with fire. This blazing mass is thrown into the sea as the second trumpet sounds. And listen to this. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the sea became blood, which if that happens, you know what's going to happen, the next thing. And a third of the creatures in the sea die. This is wreaking havoc with the economy, with the people who uh, depend upon the sea. Remember, in the area in which John was writing this, it's the Mediterranean Sea. People debate whether it's just the Mediterranean Sea or worldwide. Either way, it's pretty horrendous. The sea becomes blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Why do you think he's telling you that? I think in like 2010, there were 30,000 registered maritime ships. So there's probably, what, 40,000 by now or something like that, or 35 or 40, something like that. Think about that. 12,000, 15,000 ships, gone, cut out, done. By the way, where do we get a lot of our oxygen? I'm on the oxygen theme. From the algae in the seas. Some people say it accounts for almost 70% of the oxygen. So now here we go again. We've got problems again with breathing. No fun to have breathing problems, is it, folks? I had altitude sickness about this time last year, and it was no fun. Well, that's happening. And then the third angel sounds, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. So we've had the plant life just totally devastated, trees and grass. And then we've had the seas and the living creatures in the seas and even ships that are destroyed. Man, that's pretty particular right there by the way. Can you believe that he saw ships being destroyed and that's in there? Says to me that this is a predictive future event. Well, anyway, he says a great star falls from heaven burning like a torch and it falls on the third of the rivers. So you have the salt water taken care of and now the fresh water, the rivers, and the springs uh, on the springs of the water and the name of the star is wormwood, which means what? Bitterness. See, they had wormwood bushes back here, and they had these bitter herbs that you could take off of there, and some people would even poison people with this wormwood. And a third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Just a uh, side note. has nothing really to do with the sermon. Guess what the Russian word for wormwood is? Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Which leads many people to believe, I'm not saying I'm one of them, I'm just presenting this to you. Many people believe that what John here is seeing and describing, but he can't say it like this, is a nuclear war. Some people believe that. He's seen a nuclear war, and he can't describe it. I'm not saying I subscribe to that theory. I'm just throwing it out there because some people do think that's the way it is. All I know is, from a literal sense, We're going to see one-third of the trees and the grass burn up. And we're going to see a third of the living creatures and the sea become blood and the ships destroyed. And a third of the waters, the fresh waters become wormwood. And many men are dying from the water because it was made bitter. And then the fourth angel, verse 12, sounded and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon and a third of the stars. So it's not chipping away at these massive planet-like things. It's that it's striking at the light. Darkness happens. One third of the day and one third of the night is plunged into darkness. You could go, and this would uh, uh, equate with what um, uh, Jesus says on the Olivet Discord in Matthew 24 verse 29. a third of the day didn't shine, and likewise the night. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying, "Here's another one. He's been assigned this duty." Saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. Why does he say it three times? Because we're on the fourth trumpet judgment. In other words, we got three more to go. We got three more to go. See, here's why. The first four, now listen, I'm talking about seals, the ones that were previous to this. The first four seals, the four horsemen, judgments, etc., were against the earth. The first four trumpets are ecological uh, destruction. The last three seals focused on heaven and the cry of the martyrs and cosmic disturbances and uh, things like that. Listen to this. The last three trumpets obviously are going to take a turn and they speak of hell on earth demonic attacks. Demonic attacks that you've never seen before. Obviously, we'll get to those next week, but I want to give something away here just because some of you are there going, what just happened? I want you to look down in chapter 9, verse 20, after we get through the sixth trumpet, and I want you to just follow along with me. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You guys remember where you were when 9 11 happened? Boy, I remember. Y- you talk about horrific. That was truly horrific to see people flying out of those towers to escape the fire. And to see those things fall and implode, just the devastation was beyond awful. And then I remember, right, don't you remember the church service, maybe the weekend after when President Bush and his dad and their wives and President Clinton and his wife, who else? There were other people there. And they were all together because they were so tender we were just hurting together. And it didn't matter whether you were in a blue camp or a red camp or you were this or you were that. You were all just coming together just to seek the Lord. And that lasted about three weeks. We were back to fighting again. I read this and I go, I really can't. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say it this way. <laughs> it's really hard to believe, Lord that people have been through all of this after the rapture happens. They've been through all of this, but the rest of mankind who sees this happening and all these things, they wouldn't repent. And they wouldn't repent. And they wouldn't change their mind and walk towards God and surrender their life to God. They wouldn't repent Which suggests to me that God wants them to repent, even in the middle of tribulation. Even though it's going to be more difficult. Strong delusions sent their way. Uh, Have to take the mark of the beast or not. You know, deny the mark of the beast and then, you know, might get killed for it or will get killed for it. Going to be more difficult. And yet, they wouldn't repent. And we've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff here. That people who do not surrender their life to Christ and are pulled out of here, caught up in the clouds with the Lord, are going to go through. And the Bible says that salvation is today. It's for today. And so here's what I would say. How could we rest? Oh yeah, we need to rest in the Lord. I get it. We should rest in the Lord. We do need to take time, of course, uh, to to recharge our batteries. But i got to tell you, folks, the American church is lazy There are people who are dying tonight, tomorrow. People you know, people I know, and they don't know the Lord. Have I prayed for them? Have I shared with them? Have I loved them in a way that's honoring to God? As I look towards what's happening in the tribulation, I am comforted because I'm not going to be there. We're not going to be there. We're going to be with the Lord, and we're going to come back at the end of this and rule and reign on earth with him. But what about the people who are going to go through it? The Bible tells us that for those who are in Christ, you're not appointed unto wrath, but unto salvation. And so here's what it does for me, and I hope it does for you too. Yes, God would give you a chance to repent inside the tribulation, but why wait? Look at this little church stuck in this little sliver of Pittsburgh. But see, Jesus had 12 disciples, not 112,000. And they went and they shared and they loved and they prayed for and they made their life's work to honor and to glorify the Lord and to do what he's called them, calling them to do. And that's to go around baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and of teaching them and sharing the gospel. And I don't care where you go. I don't care what you do for a job. You've been put there for a reason, of course, to do your work great. Do your work better than anyone, but while you're there, pray with people, share with people, love with people as the Lord opens the doors. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Well, Lord, we come here this evening thankful and grateful and humbled by what your book is telling us here. Your word, Lord. We pray together, Lord, that you would Bring people into our paths tomorrow, tonight, that need to hear the gospel. Lord, that we would bring up conversations with people that would start gospel conversations. That you would prepare the hearts of people and that you'd pour out your spirit that many would be saved uh, before you uh, catch us up in the clouds, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody says? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys and uh, have a great week, and we, Lord willing, will see you on Sunday.